What's going on, fam? This is Pastor Michael Obadja. I want to say thank you for tuning in today to the Abelove Church Podcast. We believe that every message is given to activate faith in you, to rise up to your God-given identity and calling. We pray that you may be transformed, inspired, and stirred to join us as a family on a mission to see the kingdom of heaven expanded here on earth. This month, we are learning to experience this word that so often eludes us. The word is rest. God designed us for rest, and the commands that he gave us were never meant to be a burden, but to drive us towards who he is so that we may find rest. Every day this month, as a jump start for this new lifestyle that he has given us, as new creations, we are going to learn to take 10, to see the 10 commandments under new light, with new covenant eyes. Enjoy the podcast, and may the Lord bless you and move you towards obedience as your new nature. How are you guys this morning? Still alive? Good? Yes. Hey, I just want to say, uh, with everything that is happening, as you probably all have heard, whether it's in social media or the news, or maybe you work in a, uh, in a public settings and you've heard about this, with the whole entire coronavirus and everything, I just want to say, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we want to take a stance of caution, but not fearful. Amen? Yes? We want to take precautions, meaning, hey, follow, follow what uh, the, the health department is telling us to do. Wash your hands a lot. Make sure that you don't face, uh, touch your faces in, in public setting. However, I want to also remind you that we shouldn't be bought in into the fear that sometimes tries to intimidate us. Is that true? Yes. And so we want to believe, we want to trust that our life fully belongs to Jesus. And then when, when, when Jesus say, hey, your time's up, it's up. But we want to take also a cautious stance. Amen? Are we good with that? So I just want you to know that if you are sick, do not feel guilty to stay at home and watch our video, sermon videos from home. We could do that. Um, we're, we're trying to figure it out together. And I think it's such an exciting time to live in because Jesus is still at work. Amen? Uh, I want to welcome you. If this is your first time, my name is uh, Christian. I'm one of the pastors here. And we've been talking about this series. Oh, let me go back real fast. Called Take 10. Say it, say it to your neighbor. Take 10. Take 10 is talking about walking through the, the great um, the great commission. I was going to say the great commission. The Ten Commandments. Uh, and we are going through it uh, two at a time. And we're breaking it down because we want to understand who God is. This series is not about you. Tell your neighbor, it's not about you. Although you'll learn some stuff about you, it's not about you because His commandments reveal who He is. Amen? And so we want to learn God's heart. We want to learn what matters most to God. And the way we do that, we want to see his commandments. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And so, uh, this morning, I want to start with saying this. When we think about the law or commandments, what comes to our mind many times? You can talk to me. It's church. What comes to mind? You can shout it out. Commandments, laws, do not steal. Do not murder. That's right. 
But what has come to mind? What are the feelings that come to mind? Restriction. Thank you so much. I was waiting for that word. Why? Because when we hear about loss, we're like, man, it's telling me not to do stuff, right? Or it's telling me how I'm failing to do something. And so a lot of Christians are very allergic to this word law. But let me tell you, I don't think God views his laws the same way we do. Because it does not restrict us or confine us. When I was a younger Christian, a lot of people would try to encourage one another or correct one another by using these kind of sentences. Hey, you don't live under the law anymore, you know? You get to do whatever that you want. Come on. Hey, stop making people live under the law. Christians are weird sometimes, amen? I should know. My name is Christian. The church culture, sometimes we created these lingos, right? And so we use it and we throw it around one another until the meaning or its original meaning kind of just, it's, it's, it's lost along the way. What is it that God has in mind when he gave his people his law? It's true. When we read the New Testament, we see Paul fighting against people who try to force other people to live in their own standard. But that is not the majority. God originally had in mind that his law would reveal who he is. That the more we meditate on his law day and night, the more we understand who God is and it transforms us. Is it possible that there are things in the Bible that you are allergic to? I know my, my kid, Julian, he's allergic to peanuts. And so what we do is we get rid our house of every single peanut product. I haven't had peanut butter in a long time. Went on a trip uh, to Washington, D.C. last time, and I just realized, whoa, it's just me and my baby's not here and my wife's not here. Guess what? I'm going to party. What did I do? Pull out the peanut butter, right? Pull out the peanut butter, make PB&J, and all the peanut butter products, right? Because what? I, I knew that it, it was dangerous because we had another trip. And I ate something, uh, and, and I kissed him, and he reacted like his whole entire body, and he was scratching nonstop. Like, it was a pretty bad uh, allergy. And so I feel like many times when we are not transformed yet by the truth, there are parts of the Bible that we are so allergic to that a lot of times when you skim through, you're like, I'm not going to read that part. Why? Because I can't handle that truth. We say it all the time. You can't handle the truth. It's true. Even in the Bible. When we read, we skim through and we're like, no, 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 I'm not going to read that one. Why? Because God doesn't look like the God that I would like for him to be for me. Let me repeat that. Because God doesn't look like who God, who I want God to look for me. So instead of encountering the truth and who God really is, we created an image of God. Even in reading the Bible. And this is called idolatry. If we want to really take 10, if you want to really understand the, the things that matters to God the most, you need to encounter the truth. You need to wrestle with the truth. I like that word. Uh, I like that picture. Jacob wrestled with God the whole entire night to find out who God really is. And so therefore he was transformed to be more like God. Are you ready to wrestle God this morning? It's a smackdown. 
It's a world wrestling federation that's called discipleship. So how can we get formed spiritually by God through his word? Well, Jesus gave us a different picture of the law or of the truth. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you. Oh, come on. Let's repeat that. And I will give you rest. Okay, he's talking about the law. He's talking about the commandments of God. He's talking about the truth here. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To Jesus, he's saying the truth will not confine you. It won't restrict you. Actually, it will set you free. And makes you enter rest. What is it about God that you haven't encountered for many years that you follow Him? Is there parts of God that you've been kind of tippy-toeing around because you're like, I don't know if I'm ready to encounter that kind of God who will transform me. Because God's holiness will challenge us. His love will challenge us. His faithfulness will make us feel like, man, I am so unfaithful many times. This is the God that we serve. And I don't think you want to miss out on it. Even the Old Testament believers, when we think about rest, when we think about what it means to rest in the truth of God, the Old Testament believers have a completely different view than you about the law. You see, to the Old Testament believers, the law was the greatest gift that God ever gave them. Why? Imagine your life, if you live at that time, worshiping these mysterious gods and goddesses, right? There's a God of harvest. There's a God of health. There's a God and goddesses of many things. And they are not really cool. Why aren't they cool with you? Because if one day they like you, they give you health. If the next day you piss them off, they will give you other things. And you can't read them. You can't understand their nature. They're just mysterious, distant. They are not known to humankind. And so, people are always left guessing and have to be appeasing. What does that mean? They bring sacrifice not out of love, but out of fear. And so we need to appease these gods, right? Imagine living that way. And then one day your neighbor says, hey, let me tell you, because my God is different. Because the God of Israel came and he says, I will reveal to you my unchanging faithfulness. I will reveal to you my unchanging nature and character. Don't you want constants in your life? Yes. Don't you want stability in your life? That's what the God of Israel offered because he says, you will know me and I will know you. We will know each other face to face. How we do that? The problem is this. I am holy. You are not. And so he says, Moses, come up. I'm going to give you 10 things that are dear to my heart. And as you read this, you will understand who I am. You will understand what matters most to me. You will understand what I hate. You will understand what I prioritize in this life. I, what I want you to prioritize. You will understand how I think. Anyone like basketball? Yes, or sports of any kind? 
When you play sports, you know, there's, there's something called the second nature. Like when, when a team play together for so long, they can read each other's movement like no other, right? You might have all the best players in one team, but if they haven't played for so long together, guess what? You can be defeated by a team that are just ordinary, but they have such amazing uh, uh, team player-ness, right? And so, like, you see this in basketball, you see this in soccer, you see this in football, teams that read each other's movement two steps ahead other people. When they pass the ball, you don't have to see if that person is going to be there or not because you trust he will be there. That's just the kind of player that he is. And so you can throw the ball without throwing and the other person will be there to catch it. That is the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. He wants you to know him so well that when a situation happens in front of you, the laws of God are, are, are marinated in you, tattooed in your heart. And so you know my God will do this because that's the kind of player that he is. Come on, anyone know God? Anyone wants to know God that way? It's not about emotional. Sometimes the church bought in into this thing, right? We think that prophesying or delivering a message is about being quick on your feet like a stand-up comedian. It's about like figuring out what do I say to this person right here in this moment and I just want to say the most spectacular thing so that they go, whoa, you are so awesome. See, it's not God is awesome. You are so awesome. You know, that's not prophesying. Prophesying is understanding the nature of God in such a way that when you stand in front of a person that you love and care so much, even though this is the first time you meet them, your heart is moved by compassion. And in that moment, God, the thoughts of God, the imaginations of God fills you with that compassion. It compels you and moves you and something comes out of the overflowing of your heart, something that you don't make up, and you just say, hey man, I want to encourage you this way or that way. It's not about emotion only. It's about remaining in the characters of who God is. Amen? Tell your neighbor, know who God is. Something so simple, but it is something that we a lot of time miss. Now, the Old Testament believers... They look at the law of God like something revolutionary, something new. Imagine if you've been driving a 1990 Beetle, right? I don't know if Beetles are around anymore. Is this still in production? No, I think they stopped it. The newer ones, they still? Yeah, okay, I see heads nodding on here and there. Maybe, maybe they are. But a long time ago, the Beetles that are now are really cool. My wife used to. Uh, a driver, a red beetle. That's how I got attracted to her. No, I'm just kidding. I I fell in love with a girl who drove the red beetle, right? And nowadays, like, the beetle's super cool, but if you drove one from the 1990s, you don't want to drive that one. But if all you knew was the beetle from the 1990s and everyone else is from the 1990s, you won't have any problem driving that car. Because why? Everyone drives a beat-up 1990s beetles. Now here's the thing, someone suddenly pull up in front of your neighborhood with a Mercedes-Benz, 2020, not even out yet probably, right? Just drive, and you're like, how come that car doesn't make any sound when it drives? 
It looks so shiny. It looks so new. And then suddenly they start revving the, the engine and you go, wow, wow, such power. Anyone? Guys, you guys want that one? Yes? You're like, please. I'll take two. The law of God at that time when it came was kind of like the Mercedes Benz of that time. Everyone else been driving the beat up 1990s Beetle. And then suddenly God says, let me reveal to you who I am. What's my heart? The Old Testament believers, when you read the book of Psalms, they're like, oh God, we love your laws. We meditate on your commandments. And here we are in 2020, we read that. We're like, oh, who wants a commandment? Who wants a law? Because to us, it means something completely different. I want to challenge you this morning. Maybe we need to come to the original, the heart of it. Because that's why Jesus came. He said, I'm not here to erase any commands, even one dot. Even one dot, but I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to give you the full meaning, to bring you back to the heart of the matters. And so, we encounter a holy God. Anyone know the word holy? What does it mean? Set apart. Actually, it simply means unique or different. It means that God is not one of us. Last week, Pastor Mike laid down beautifully. The reason why we worship God is because God is not a created being. He is the creator. And so, if any of your kids ask you before bed and say, Mom, Dad, here we go. Are you guys ready for this? Where does God come from? And you go, duh, 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 duh. It's already late. Just go back to sleep. Do you know that you would have to answer questions like that? Maybe from not from your own children, maybe from your spiritual children. Hey man, I've just been thinking about this a lot. Where does God come from? And you're like, oh, Jesus. I remember the answer is always Jesus. You can say this with full confidence that before anything was, there was God. He wasn't created. He was there. And He's always there. And He will always be there. That's the kind of God that we create, that, that we worship. It's not a created being. And so this is what the Israelites would tell their children. Not only that God is holy, meaning that He is morally perfect. It means that He is different. Actually, you know, we read stories in the Bible. Have you ever encountered stories like this? Like people got too close to who God is in the Old Testament and they just die. And you're like, how am I going to approach a God like that? Right? Anyone? I used to wake up super early when I had no babies, no wife, no life, no nothing. And just go to Starbucks at 5, 5.30, 6, I don't know what time they opened really. And just sat there and opened my Bible just to read for 30 minutes before I could go and do my stuff. And I used to be so bothered. Like, you know, I am like sleepy. I woke up. I opened my Bible. And I started reading Deuteronomy. I started reading, you know, Leviticus. All these names that you're like, <laughs> I haven't read it. 
I also haven't read it for a long time. So I opened it and I read it and it says, this guy, he came too close to God and he died and it woke me up even greater than the coffee. And I'm like, God, whoa, God, if you are good, why did that person die? Anyone thought about that? Or do, do we not talk about these? Let me tell you something. A person died not because God was evil, but because God is so holy. He's so good that when someone comes with impurities where we are at, we are actually in a zone that is not safe. Because when we enter into that, into that zone, God's holiness overwhelms us. That's what His goodness is. Do you know that you can be overwhelmed by goodness? When I understood that, I go, whoa. God is so holy that when we come to His presence, it becomes a dangerous area for us. That's the Old Testament. You know, if the president would walk into here, like, if we get suddenly, hey, the president is about to give a speech in your church. Guess what's going to happen the day before? Anyone would know? You have all the secret agents here. What are they doing? Sweeping. Not sweeping the floor. Securing the room. Right? They would look for any threat that would be dangerous to the president. They're clearing the area. They're making sure that this space would be proper, would be safe for everybody in the room and also the president. This was the job of the priests that work in the presence of God. That's why God gave laws and commands. It's so because he wants to be in fellowship with his people, but there is a problem. We are actually the problem. I want you to change the way you think about God. Because he is holy. You know, Shakespeare, in his famous piece, Romeo and Juliet, had one famous question. And the question asked, what is in the name? Anyone know that line? Or maybe you say it too. What's in the name? You can call it potato, potato, tomato, tomato. It's the same thing. Right? It's just different things that we use to call the same thing. Not so with God. His name is so different. His name is not just a title. His name reveals who he is. God's name is. Anyone know God's name? Jesus. That's right. It's always the right answer. But Jesus means Jehovah saves. Or Yahweh saves. Yahweh, the Jewish people understood the holiness of God that they were so scared of mentioning His name in the wrong way that they would never mention the uh, uh, some of the words in the name, some of the letters in the name. And so we don't know if it's Yahweh, Yihua, Yahweh, whatever it is in the middle. We only know Y W H, right? That is the kind of understanding of what holiness means that is missing many times in how we approach God. Let's read together in Exodus 20 verse 7. Are you ready to read the word of God? Here's the third commandment that God gave his people 
to Moses to reveal who he is, what his nature looked like. Let's read it. One, two, three. Wow. It ends with the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. What's in a name, Shakespeare? Let me tell you what's in a name. The name of God reveals his presence. The name of God reveals his heart. The name of God often in the Bible is personified. As if it is a walking name. It's an active, it's a personal being. Just like Jesus. When he came down, he made the invisible name to be visible. As he walked and people call his name Jesus, Jehovah saves. It's not just a title for a good teacher or a good man. It was a title of a walking, present God. That's Jesus. And so we need to understand what it is that God is so against about people misusing their names. Maybe you think it's saying Jesus when your car almost hits the the car in front of you and you throw the name Jesus. Like that's misusing God's name. Like, dude, you shouldn't do that. God is listening, right? Maybe that's one of them. But I think it's the smallest part of the application of this. Because misusing God's name is actually more than just that. It's about your words. How we use our words matters a lot to God. For example, if you say, I swear by God. You're not just saying it. It's not just the words, but it's the intention that you are portraying through saying that. When you fail to perform a promise in the name of the Lord, you are misusing his name. There's an example in the Bible uh, of, of a guy named Jephthah. If you read in Judges 11 to 12, there's a guy who got raised. He was actually a, a, a son of a prostitute. Man, tragic story, crazy story. Read the book of Judges. You'll see how God uses broken people. He was raised up in a family that rejected him. And he was outcast, so he banded with this gang. He became a gang leader in, in, around the city, raiding and doing all, pillaging and doing all these things in Israel. But now, suddenly the nation of Israel got attacked by their enemies. And so the leaders of the city were looking and they felt unprotected. So they went to this gang leader named Jephthah and he says, please, 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 please. I think you are the right person for the job. Please come back. We'll make you a commander in the land, rule and defeat our enemy for us. Remember, a son of a prostitute, an outcast, a gangbanger, someone who is nobody. But God raised up a nobody and he says, you are going to be a somebody because I'm going to give you a purpose. And every single judge that started doing things in the book of Judges started with this one phrase repeatedly again and again, judges after judges, the Spirit of God comes upon them. And when it comes upon Jephthah, Jephthah became this person who suddenly could lead not a group, a band, a small band of gang, of delinquents, but of a whole army. 
And so he was battling for God and he was an amazing warrior. He even could par with his enemies. He could even uh, um, defeat them and he would win. But Jephthah had one weakness. Big weakness, I would say. Jephthah had a problem with pride and his words. So he was battling and God was winning even without his help. But then he was facing another battle and he made a vow and an oath. And he said this, God, if you gave me victory against this army, the first something, anything, whoever, whatever, that comes out of my door in the celebration of my victory, I will sacrifice them to you. How'd you come up with that? God's been winning. It's been all about him. And then suddenly he was facing with another battle and he just had to boast. He just had to show everybody else, look, God's going to give it again. And I'm going to show you that God is with me because I'm going to make this, uh, this, uh, this agreement with God so that everyone can see that God is truly with me. The things that we would say, the things that we would do. To twist God's arm so that he goes for our agenda instead of us following him. Oof, I feel that hand twisting. We need a chiropractor. We twist God's arm. And God still wins because he always wins. And everyone is celebrated. And he came home. I don't know if you could see the picture here. The first person that came out of that door is his own daughter. His only daughter. And he looked. And he started crying. He started realizing that he was boasting. And he made a promise that maybe he couldn't keep. Many experts have different opinions about what happened to his daughter. Some people said he sacrificed. He did a, a, a human sacrifice which is against God's heart and God never required it. Some experts believe that he, uh, he lost his uh, descendant because she was his only daughter that was supposed to continue the legacy. But because of that, she uh, stayed not married and she, she uh, basically served in the temple. We don't know which one. But all I know is this. Whichever it is, it has something to do with the oath that Jephthah made to boast. How many of us pay attention to what comes out of our words, out of our mouth? Let's not be Jephthahs, because God wants us to have yes, our yes to be yes, and our no to be no. And anything other than that comes from who? The evil one. See, even someone with the power of the Spirit can boast. If we don't understand the heart of God. Now, those who name Jesus as their Lord, Matthew 7 says. Those who call him as their Lord, as their king, but continue to disobey and rebel against his spirit's leading is misusing his name. Those who misrepresent Jesus and our God in the world because his name is Christian. But he doesn't live like a Christian. We are misrepresenting God in the world. 
Sometimes the world doesn't agree with the church because the church stands for the truth. But other times the world disagree with the church because the church rep- misrepresent God. Can we have a humble posture, a repentant posture this morning and say, God, maybe we need to repent because your name is holy. Because God's name is his presence. His name is who? The great I am. I am is present tense. It means that he's always present. He's here. You know how hard it is to be present? Have you tried? With your family? Put down your phone during dinner tables? To be present? To actually enjoy? Doing the small things in your life? How is it that the world gets this so much? And they're like, hey, we need to be present because we haven't been being present because maybe in its DNA, being present is most like God because he's a present God. So if you're trying to always live in the future or in the past, you are running away from the one who is present. He wants to encounter you in this moment. Don't wait for tomorrow. Don't look at yesterday. Look at today. God's name is his presence. He lives. He walks. Are we getting this? Yes? This is God's heart. This is what he wants you to know about him. Now, the other one that we're going to discuss today is the fourth commandment. And it is taken from this verse, 8 to 11. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it. Oh, that word again, yeah? Six days you shall labor, you shall work, and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals. Wow, even the animals get Sabbath. Nor any foreigner residing in your towns, all the visitors. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. That's another part that I was really, really surprised again. Because maybe it's against my nature. But it says, God rests. Maybe the God in your mind is the God that is overworking. But God rests. How many of you feels like you always have to catch up in your season right now? You have to catch up with life. You're not going fast enough. Trying to get the next thing. You're trying to impress the next the next person. There's no rest. Pastor Mike said it. We're not talking about sleep because sleep is for your body. But rest is for your soul. If it's for your soul, then maybe you could be restless as you lie in bed at night. I've been there. Phew. When you're restless, your minds are everywhere. And you're thinking about everything that is going on because you feel that you're in control. We forgot that God made Sabbath for a reason. Now, if you don't know what Sabbath is, it is actually something that the Jewish people celebrate and observe. On Sabbath day, they literally not do any work because God commanded them not to. Even until today, if you go to Israel and you go on Sabbath day, you will find that no one works. 
No one's switching on the lights in the streets. No one's making the food, right? Or the restaurant, at least. But during Sabbath, those who are good Jews, they all celebrate, enjoy, and grow spiritually in their community. There's a lot of time for that. But I want us to understand because how about us? As a Christian, I read in the Bible, Jesus said, Sabbath is no longer something that we should be concerned about. Right? Because in the Bible, in the New Testament, it says that Jesus tell people, like, look, it's not about the Sabbath. Sabbath was created for man, but man was not created for Sabbath. Right? And so we say, well, why are we even talking about this? Isn't this Old Testament stuff? Remember, God wants to reveal his heart for you. Let it challenge you. Now, what is Sabbath? Sabbath literally means rest. In the Bible, there's a number that is so important. It's the number seven. Why is the number seven so important? Because God created the world, the earth in six days, but it's complete when rest is involved on the seventh. Like he has to mention God rested on the seventh. It means that God created this work and rest balance. Because if you just work, 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 you will never enjoy the fruit of your labor. I'm just talking logically, not even spiritually. But if you understand that that is the kind of life that God intends for you to be at rest in your body, in your soul, that means we need to really think about how we live today. Because our culture tells us other things. It celebrates different things. It celebrates overworking sometimes. Or it celebrates not working at all. They're like, woo, Sabbath, Monday Sabbath, Tuesday Sabbath, right? Some of you need to get a job. No? Let it be formed. Let you be formed spiritually. Because to labor for six days means that you would work the way God created you passionately. And on the seventh, you would enjoy the fruit of your labor. How are you guys doing? Married couples. Not only individually. How's our marriages? How's our relationship? Are we all about tasks? Are we not resting and filling up this marriage tank that God has put in place? Do you need to take your wife out to talk? Single people, are we resting? No, man, I'm always hustling. I'm always hustling. Hey, nothing, again, nothing wrong with always being motivated, encouraged, go for your goals, all that. However, God created a cycle. It's as if like this is how God intends things to be. I love that on the seventh, it says that six days God worked. And it always mentioned there were evening and there was morning. There were evening and there was morning. But on the seventh day, that phrase was not there. As if God is saying, the rest that I want you to enter is an eternal rest, not just the one here. What is that eternal rest? Well, man lost it when they fall into sin. Right? That's why Jesus came in and he said, come to me. My yoke is easy. I will give you rest. We're returning to the original rest that God promise for us God's presence 
provided and filled his creation on the seven days. In your life, you need a moment where you are not in control over your schedule, over all your finances, over everything to remind you of who is truly your provider, your creator, your father, your God. When was the last Saturday you have unplanned? I'm going to give it as practical as I can. When was the last time you had a day where you just rest inside? You can get a massage, you can do all these things, but if you are not resting inside, you're not rested. Your soul, your spiritual life, you need to be rested. After the fall, we became slave to the land. After the fall, Adam and Eve became slaves to work the land until they died. But God wanted to bring true rest. And so every seventh day, he told his people, you're going to stop working, enjoy the good creation and blessings, take a whole day living as if that full rest, that true seventh day, that true Sabbath has come. We're still there, aren't we? We're not there yet. We're all still alive. That means we need to live day to day, keeping our minds off what is eternal. Keeping our minds on what matters most to God. Do you know that the Israelites celebrated, there, is seven, there are six other festivals other than the Sabbath that the Israelites would celebrate. See, seven, 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 you'll see it all again. Symbol of completion. Right? And not only that, every seventh year, this is what I love the most. It's a great year because it's the year of Jubilee. We even sing it, right? The year of Jubilee. If you're new and you're like, what the heck did you just say, Pastor? I have no idea. Well, let me tell you. The year of Jubilee is a celebration year because God says this. I love how God thinks. We're going to rest not only the land every seventh day, but on the seventh year, this is what I want you to do. You are going to do things differently. You are not going to harvest the land the same way. We're going to let the land rest and replenish itself. Because I'm going to show you I'm the one that created all things. And so you're going to work hard. And on the seventh year, you're going to set all the prisoners free. They're like, what? God, we can't do that. How can we do that? Because I am a forgiveful God. You're going to set all the prisoners free. Not only that, anyone who has debt, you will set them free also. Woo! Who needs the year of Jubilee? Jesus, let it be 2020. The year of Jubilee, everyone is so excited because every seven years, they let the land rest free. Relationship gets restored. And they experience the glimpse of the true Sabbath that will come one day. Are we looking forward to those? Are we forgiving people in our life? When you release forgiveness, you are reminding yourself of the year of Jubilee. When you release forgiveness, you're reminding yourself who really is the one who forgives us first. Do we set captives free? You know the easiest way we can set, uh, we, we can take captive is by our judgment. Judgment binds people. Because when you have a judgment about a certain person, they can never do better than that judgment. However hard they try, you have a judgment and they are bound by your judgment. 
So the one that needs to release the captives is you. Or if you live under someone else's judgment and you're not realizing it, that you're just trying to lift up to that person's expectations, there's a codependency going on. You need to break the chain of judgment. By what? Standing in truth. In your identity, in who God said you are. Don't wait till that person apologizes. That's on them. That's not on you. But you need to stand and say, God, I refuse to hold that judgment against me. I forgive that person for not understanding what's going on in my life. Let's go, church. Let's be the church that is rested because rest matters to God. But the ultimate rest is the cross. The cross of Jesus is timed so perfectly. Jesus came into the picture. He launched his ministry on Sabbath. Do you know that? He launched everything on Sabbath and he took a scroll from the year, uh, from, from the book of Isaiah and he read it about this year of Jubilee and he started pointing at himself like this while reading. And he said, God is going to set the captives free. Check out what I'm going to do next. God is going to heal the sick. He's going to set all the dead free. He's going to set the prisoners free. Because I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I am the walking presence of God. And then he went out and he started healing the sick. And casting out demons. And he's saying, the, 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 the seventh year is here. It's in me. We're going to enter into that era. And Jesus, he timed his death so perfectly to be at the end of the week so that he rested on the tomb on the seventh day. So that on the eighth day, after he rested, he resurrected, a new season begins. That's why we're called a new creation. That's why we're called, the church is called the bride of Christ because Adam was created on the sixth day. And on the seventh day, God rested. But the second Eve, who is the bride of Christ, who God created to be redeemed, to be sanctified, to be perfected like Him, the true Eve will be born on the eighth day. That's why you are eight. God is seven. You are eight. Right? Because seven, eight, nine. Just kidding. All I'm saying is that God's work of restoration in your life begins with your rest. The reason why it's called restoration, it really begins with rest. Without rest, it's just toration. Tor. Yeah. Your restoration begins with rest. If you don't understand how to rest in God's truth, how to rest in His faithfulness, how to rest in His presence, in His goodness. Because we neglect those things. We're like, no, nah, we don't have time for those things. All I worry about is what's in front of me. What's the next schedule? Let's get this. You're never going to begin and participate with God in the work of restoration that He has in your life. So we want to fight against overworking. Our culture downplay rest. Rest is seen as laziness. Rest is seen as what? Unmotivated. Slow pace. 
we somehow find a fake comfort that if our schedule and calendar is full to the brim, we are productive. This is not true. And this is not about being a hard worker or being motivated. I'm talking about not having a discipline to rest, to enjoy the fruit of your labor, to prioritize what matters in your life. And when work creeps in and becomes your identity, becomes your idol in your life, you'll start saying things like, I don't have time for this. This is a waste of my time. Some people even come in and say, you are a waste of my time. Right? Because in our culture, time is money. That's not biblical, my friend. Repent from that. Time is not money. Time is a good gift from God. You can only enjoy the time. Make use of the time. But time should never be your master. This year we want to learn how to be generous and how we serve more. If we can do those two things, I think we're more likely going to end the year more and more like Jesus. All right. Here's how I'm going to challenge you this week. Number one. To rest in His truth is to fill yourself with the thoughts of God, of what matters most to God. If you haven't followed, Pastor Mike has been creating this daily devotional in video format for those of you who are uh, video people. I mean, you can turn it on and not watch it also. Just don't tell Pastor Mike. Uh, the whole point, though, is for you to be formed. You it's it's a ten minute uh, it's a five minutes video, and the whole point of take ten is not just like we're going through the ten commandments, but we're gonna take ten minutes of each of our day, five minutes to just watch or listen to the message, and five more minutes to reflect and answer simple questions. Can we do that? Do that daily? Yes. It's the first challenge for you. If we can do this daily. We will be doing what we're talking about. Resting in the truth. Now, if you do not know how to access that, you can go to YouTube, type up Bible of Church. If you have a YouTube account, you can click uh, subscribe. Or for those of you who are on Spotify, which is a uh, music or a podcast um, also service, you can go there and you can also subscribe. And so every time we post a new Take 10 video, you will be notified. And so you go, oh, it's time for me to take 10 again. All right? And so super easy, super simple. For those of you who are not on any of these platforms and you are on WhatsApp, just stick around. You will see the notification there. Now, the second thing, though, that I want to challenge you is the Bible track. How many of you know that in our beloved church, we care so much about your spiritual journey? We believe that every disciple need to walk in their spiritual journey, growing more and more like God. You've probably seen this one, where you use this. Every single new believers, every single person that says, hey, I want to take my uh, relationship with God to the next level, you go through what we call the kingdom track. But we're working on these series, and we believe that there are three tracks that needs to impact your life. It needs to be part of your conversation, your language, your heart. The second one is what we call the Bible track. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that as we close. The last one is the leadership track. We're working on these materials to 
uh, publish it and, and, and have it available all for you. But for this one, we are actually going to la launch the Bible track and do it corporately um, together as a whole church. Because in Abelov, uh, Chino Hills, we never done this officially. We think that 2020 will be the year where we want to be rooted in truth. Because when we feel that we're swayed by all these kind of other truths, and you sometimes, you get confused when the, the Bible is in front of you, and like, man, I'm so used to just listen to Pastor Mike or Pastor Christian preach a message, and when I read by myself, I just don't know what to do with it. Well, here's a perfect track for you. Because what we're doing is not giving you more messages, we're giving you the tools that we use so that you can fish the fish for yourself. You understand? This is a moment for you to really hone your skill as someone who handled the Word of God. You can misuse the Word of God. Even if you're the filth with the Holy Spirit, do you know that you can misread the Bible? No? Yeah, absolutely. And we want to discuss. It's not like a lecture. It's more like a discussion. And so I'm going to invite Andy real fast as I close. Uh, Andy, Andy and me, we, we've taught this uh, prototype classes before um, in the past our pilot projects, but this time around, we want to uh, launch it officially as part of our uh, spiritual journey track. Say hi to Andy, everybody. Hi, Andy. This is Andy. Andy's part of my cell group. We're uh, the Chino Cow Farm group. Yes. And now, uh, Andy, tell, tell everyone a little bit. I know you've been through it. You've taught it. Like, you've actually facilitated the whole thing. How has it impacted you? What changed for you in simple ways for everyone to hear? Go ahead. Testing. Oh, I haven't used it in a while. Uh, yeah, it, it's been a great blessing. So Pastor Chris taught it a while back, and it was such a big impact that until today, even even without the materials in front of me, I can I can tell you what what I, what what I learned because it it really opened up my eyes how to really read the Bible and really get something out of it. Because otherwise, like typically, if, if we don't know how to read the Bible, we what do we do? Like, I mean, it's a typical question, right? Oh, uh, where do I start? What do I read? Even if I read something, what does it mean? So what I learned from Pastor Chris uh, through this Bible track that we're going to also uh, uh, do together is to, when we open the Bible, what is the ex expectation? How do I get something out of it as a Christian, as a believer? Thank you, Andy. Now, uh, I, what I love about this is that we're actually going to do two schedules for all of you. It is going to be a once a month thing. And so it's not an every week or anything like that. The way we do it is that we go through genre by genre. You know, music genres, yes. Country music, pop music, rock music. The Bible also is divided by genre. And we're going to cover every genre possible so that when you enter a book, you go, I know what questions that I should be asking. I know what I should be looking. Here are the common mistakes that I'm not going to go to. This is how I handle the truth, and I really get spiritually formed by God. And so I, I made a little thing right here. And so it's a March to December, once a month. One night is on a Wednesday night, on a week uh, on a weeknight. We're going to have it in Chino Hills area. Maybe take your seat. Maybe somewhere else, depending on the class. And then another one going to be on a weekend. It'll be either Saturday night or Sunday night. Now, I'm going to teach the weekend class. Andy's going to teach the weekday class. And what we're going to be doing is that we're going to get you through from Old Testament all the way to New Testament 
um, each meeting is around two hours. And so you get to go a lot of discussion, a lot of just like talking through some tools that will help you really hone your skills. Uh, what I love about it also is that you get to bring your questions, your burning questions about the Bible, your skepticism, bring it to the table because what it does it really forces you to look into the truth that you've been holding all, all, all your life. And it even helps shape other people, and we answer it together. And we don't know, we say we don't know. But a lot of times when I see people coming to this, get passionate, get ignited, to love the Word of God, I see transformation happen. Give it up for Andy. Thank you, Andy. Andy, it's going to be in the back. I have a sign-up list right here, Andy, next to my bag right there. And so if you want to sign up, my second challenge for you, is to sign up for the Bible track and say yes and say, hey, I'm up for a Wednesday. Or if let's say you say I'm up for both schedules so that I can always catch if I like say I, I have to miss, um, we can work with you. I really want you to know that if we do this together, we will grow in truth. We'll grow and be rooted in God's word. Amen. I'm going to play. I'm going to just pray and close uh, for us real fast. You don't have.